It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you warmly for joining us. With me today in the studio, James Gocroft is back, and I can confirm he is definitely not chewing gum. Julian Lawrence is with us as well, as is the very excellent Allison Rudd, who is a qualified referee. <laughs> and for that reason, needs to explain referee decisions everywhere all the time. Later on, we're going to be joined by Matt Dickinson. Uh, he has a really good piece uh, in uh, the game where he sat down with uh, Scoey's friend, the FA's technical director, Dan Ashworth. And... I've never met Dan Ashworth, but sort of judging from this photograph of him next to Gareth Southgate, he's also he's also a member of the Little People Brigade, is he? Is that right, Scoey? Is he little? He's very little. Really? Big ideas, though. First, we're going to start with the greatest cup competition in the world. It's the FA Cup at White Hart Lane. This weekend, in terms of football really bit the big one it was really horrendous okay it i it's not anybody's fault it's scheduling it's whatever the juventus and milan game on friday night was interesting barcelona was interesting because they lost and were bad real madrid was interesting because sergio ramos scored it was hard psg bad boring leipzig lost Ugh. it was just one of those weekends to forget right there was a lot of boring games in England as well. There were a lot of, lot of Lincoln fans with, with, with foil FA Cups dancing around. It was nice. We will get to that. But that said, Hung Ming Son, one of the players I have long championed, despite the derision of others, had a big game at Spurs as they destroyed Millwall 6-0. We'll get to the Harry Kane injury, but as I said, more generally, is the media, is a national conversation kind of giving Spurs short shrift? I feel like we read... More about the Pep story in City House Chelsea. Obviously, Chelsea top of the league. Arsenal, their foibles. Klopp seems to get a ton of love. Should we be taking Spurs a little bit more seriously? As Not so much the title contender because they're 10 points back, but are they the second force in English football right now? I think you could definitely argue that. Well, first of all, I disagree that I think they're ignored by the media. If In fact, I think that Spurs, for the past... Well, since Pochettino joined, actually, he's had quite a nice ride from the media. I think he's really respected by almost everyone I know who writes about football or commentates on it. Uh, and it's really hard when you meet him not to be seduced by just what a great guy he is. 
and he likes all the things we want managers to like in this country. He likes English talent, he likes young talent, he always backs his players, but not in that sort of fantasist way where you think you just, come on, you're lying to us, you feel he means it. But that's the perception of people like you who've gotten to hang out with Potch. Well, you mentioned the media, that's why I... But the media in terms of the national conversation, in terms of when we think of who can win the title, when we think of big clubs in England, are Spurs getting the respect that they deserve? Yes, because you've just said it. No one really expects Chelsea not to win it. And when you then discuss who might come second, I don't think anybody would say it was ludicrous to assume that Spurs might do it. Okay, that's not exactly what I meant, but... um... (laughs) Anybody else see where I'm coming from with this idea yeah, that maybe they, they, Tottenham don't get... They don't because they haven't delivered yet, have they? Well, there's a subtext with Tottenham that they, they're always disappointing and they're a big club who don't do big things. But I think even allowing for that, I think they get a lot of positive chat. They're not a club dissed. I agree. There was a time where mocked. Rose and Walker were the best fullbacks in the world. There was, you know, there's a lot of talk about Harry Kane. I think Dele Alli gets a lot, sometimes a bit negative when he deserves it, but a lot of positive Wait, as let well. Let me turn the question around. They get a lot of players in team of the season so far. Who, who has a brighter future? Spurs or Liverpool? Deafening silence in the studio. That's a very good I'll question. That's a very who has a, who has a brighter future, Spurs or Manchester United? Difficult one for you because you love Pochettino and you're a Liverpool fan. So what? So I'm paralysed and I can't speak. Yeah? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> See, look, look, they're all avoiding the question. <laughs> I'm thinking about it because it's a very good question. Who has more expectation? Because expectation is something that you journalists don't really pick up on. And playing for Liverpool has a far heavier jersey than playing for Tottenham. As does playing for Manchester United. Manchester United is the heaviest. Most famous team in the world. Exactly, the heaviest of all jerseys. Okay, so playing for Spurs is comparatively easier because there's not much expectation. And so are you suggesting it helps them to overperform? And There's more pressure playing for Liverpool and Manchester United than what there is playing for Spurs. Mm. The pressure argument I find is a is a fascinating one and one that I think one. no 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 it I think is. you can make that point within England when you talk to players who played in other countries and then play here and people who've never been outside England complain about pressure they kind of roll around on the floor laughing holding their bellies because the fact of the matter is here in England no matter how bad you are as a player with certain limited examples I'm thinking of Alex Nyarko perhaps yeah. back in the day the reality is the fans almost never turn on you. You hardly ever face the media. They don't show up outside your house. They don't harass you when you're out to dinner. You train you know, behind closed doors every day. It's, you know, they, 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 don't, they don't get to come and watch you train. <laughs> you know, so it's all, it's kind of a joke, frankly, when people complain about pressure. But within the context, I, I would obviously agree with you I, that there is less pressure playing for Spurs than United. Anyway, on that, um, on that digression, do we expect Millwall to be so bad? Or was it Spurs who were good? You know, Millwall had big support there as well. It's a big, big game. They've done fantastically well. They just, I don't know, they're, they're, I've seen them play in the FA Cup this season and the intensity that they played with. The, and I, I think they just approached the game thinking, we'll drop off, we'll defend. It's almost like PSG-like, wasn't it, on, on Wednesday night? Let Tottenham come on to them. And it's exactly what Tottenham did do. And before you know it, you're 2 3 Three nil down, and it was game over. And I'm sure uh, Neil Harris will be looking back this one and think, mm, maybe we should have been a little bit more on the front foot. I know Jansen scored, but especially now with with Harry Kane injured, well, we'll find out soon how serious his injury is. It did look unfortunate. Also looked pretty season, aren't they? Pretty yeah. painful. Um, why doesn't Potts just play Son up front now? And I think he will. 
leave Janssen to I, I, I don't, wasn't that beautiful him getting his first goal in open play and the way they embraced him in that patronising way and he didn't mind mid-March it was about time go <laughs> <laughs> on um, so how big is the Kane blow how big a blow massive how, massive for them uh, is it, you're saying this because you're a Kane fan or because you don't have that much faith in Hong Wen Son I just think he's he's a talisman for them, isn't he? I think I think the players know, the manager would know, and I think they'll be waiting on the scan results to come back today. And if they come back with the work, and it looked awful, and there's people saying he could well miss the the end of the season because I think he hurt the same ankle at the it was the same ankle yes. that he hurt at the start. So there's obviously damage there already. I just think everybody connected with that football club. If there's one player that you look at. Maybe Deli Ali, I would even put Harry Kane slightly in front of him. I just think the way he leads the line, his goals, everything about him, you're taking a massive part away from Tottenham's uh, strengths, really. I think it will cost Tottenham big time. Do you think it will cost them a place in the top four? Maybe. I think so, yeah. I agree. And Son has been a bit inconsistent. He's had great games this season. He's been a bit inconsistent as well. In that period, that those seven weeks where Kane was missing earlier in the season, was he played well. And, and, he played yeah. well in those seven weeks. So. He, he had, yeah, he had some really good games. He scored the brace at Stoke, I think, where he was outstanding. And and he came Europe. on late at some point to change the games, but he also had some uh, uh, dreadful game in the yeah, Champions think, League, for uh, example, uh, where he was absolutely. I hard. think he, I think he, he's, he's a finisher. He can, he can score goals, but Harry Kane has nailed that position. Nailed that number nine, leading the line. Not, if you take his goals away, he offers so much to the team. You know, he's a platform, he gets the team up the pitch, you can play into him, you'll get the ball back off him. Uh, just think everything they do, Tottenham, goes through Harry Kane. Injuries are never good, but this is surely the worst time to lose Harry Kane. Between Janssen and Sissoko, we're talking, what, in excess of £50 million? Pounds yeah, bonuses included, yeah. Spent on two guys who contribute little or nothing. Who's to blame here? Posh, I, I believe, at least for Sissoko, I don't know about Janssen, but... but was Janssen a Mitchell thing? And I don't, I don't know. I, I really don't know where Janssen comes from. But for Sissoko, and the, the interesting thing is they fought hard to get them both because they had to go back a few times for Janssen. And for Sissoko, remember that incredible story on the last day of the transfer window where he was on his way up to Everton Yo, I, and turned I, around on the air because Spurs coming back in the way they did. And that see, was 100% posh. This is what gets me. And then I realise managers don't, they don't have to answer questions and, or whatever. But since he's your mate, Alison, <laughs> what on God's green earth was he thinking with Sissoko? Jensen, fine. You want another forward. He's different. But Sissoko, like, if there's one position where you figure, right, midfielders in general, you know, you've added Wanyama, you've got Dembele, you have, you have Eric Dyer, you have Eriksson, you have Lamela, you have Winks, you, you, you just have so many... So, so many he's allowed options. one mistake then. I mean, I mean, you've just one mistake. You've listed, oh, you've a listed a lot of great players. But there. Why, why? But why? I suspect. I suspect when you sign somebody for sorry, but when you sign somebody for thirty million and you you're putting him on starter money, he becomes a starter. He becomes somebody who plays every week, right? There there are certain realities in the game. You don't buy somebody like that to go and have him. Well, let's flip like, it. Let's flip it. At least Pochettino has been able to publicly almost exclaim yes I got it wrong because he plays him so infrequently I suspect the problem is when he was at Southampton Pochettino was over-reliant on the black box on the statistics on the rather clever way they identify exactly what the team needs and who can fill it and he did that with Sissoko sometimes that doesn't work in practice it's the same with Janssen and his goals in Holland 
this didn't translate in the Premier League. But on paper and in the computer model, it might well have looked like they were exactly the players he needed. It's just there's not many 30 million players that you've made a mistake on, though. It's a lot of money for a mistake. And usually, is it, is it I doubt, I doubt price. Or is it the going rate? It's not the going rate. It's, no. just, it's just another well, stupid I think you'll miss. find this summer the, the, going rate. Yeah. The, 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 that's, <laughs> that's the Ed Woodward line. Look, we did great. We only paid. Like, Marcel was a steal. Look. No, yeah, it's not true. It's not is. normal to spend 30 million pounds on a footballer and then not pay him. Yeah, people make mistakes all the time. But the reality, especially 30 million pounds on a veteran, um, I, I don't know. I like, He's 27. Which means, which makes him a veteran. He's been a professional for ten years, right? He's, he's, he's veteran he's, at twenty-seven. No, I think you've got to be a veteran to get into a few years ahead 30s, of him. Yeah, it's not. He's it's not fifty finished. times for France. He, he's not some. That's what I mean. That makes him a veteran. That means that you have been it there. Makes that him means experience. I wouldn't say it's a veteran. Okay, but if you go back to Janssen, so I actually feel sorry for Janssen. I think a lot of people in the in the press have given him even yesterday sarcastic comments. Oh, it's his first goal from open play. He was never going to be a starter. So the role he's got, and, I, and I've played this role before, it's very, very hard. It's really important that you, you're playing every week, you get your match rhythm, etc. As soon as you come off and you're playing on the bench and you're coming on for 10 minutes, you come, you lose all of that. You lose your, your fitness, your sharpness, your confidence. And all of a sudden people say, well, you know, he hasn't really featured much, he hasn't scored much. Well, what, what do you expect? Back in the Premier League, where uh, there are no easy games, um, <laughs> Liverpool played Burnley, and Alison, is it fair to say that this was a bad game for Liverpool in everything other than the result? Jurgen Klopp says they won ugly. I personally thought that there was no Firmino. There might as well have been no Coutinho. I just thought that they ran out of steam and they ran out of ideas. Winning ugly, I think that was really clever from Klopp to say that. Um, It's a well-worn phrase and it implies so many good things, actually. It implies that you can get stuck in against a tough opponent, uh, you can overcome obstacles, you can uh, ditch the flair and play uh, plan B or plan C. Liverpool just played badly and got away with it. I can't remember a time when Liverpool have won and looked so unappealing and average and it felt like they were in gear two maybe gear three occasionally there was they were nowhere near getting into fourth or fifth gear at all it was almost a joke had they lost then then this would become something of an absolute big issue and it's not because they won after all the build-up about how they are struggling against teams that are not in the top half of the table how they could then at home do it yet again against the team that are, are hopeless away from home. Burnley are hopeless away from home. And yet they, they, they were able to look like a team that really got to grips with the Premier League and what it takes to travel. I was not impressed. All right, so, oh, Scott, I, can, you, can you explain this, like, it's good that they paid badly argument? I, I think you have to give Burnley a little bit of credit. I know their away record is very, very poor, but the way they set up away from home, if you look at Burnley recently... They, they compete now away from home. They go from away, and I know they're losing games now by the odd goal. Where before, you know, they were getting absolutely trounced. So, so I think you have to give Burnley. Burnley is sort of experts of, and Sean Dyche is getting behind the ball, making it hard. So, not quite sure what people were expecting to start. Well, they don't play that way at home, though. Like that, they didn't play like that. There was this was a game with a lot of space where Burnley were quite expansive. Actually, this was set up for a half-decent Liverpool team to really slaughter them and they didn't even come close. 
But I don't, I, don't, I don't get this impression of why Liverpool are expected to turn up, especially with their recent record that they've got, that they're going to win 4 or 5 nil. I, would, I, I don't care how many goals there are. It's about the performance. Yeah, yeah. Right, so it could, could it be and a I simple... And I think if you look at... So you look at Man City in the week, you look at Manchester United last week, this is the norm when you get to this time of the season. Very rarely do you get picture postcard performances and everything well, why? clicks but into yes, place. Yeah, but Man, sorry, sorry, but, but Manchester City and Manchester United play in European competition and they're playing yes, midweek and whatever what's, else. What's that? What's that's, the, that's a myth. What, what's that got to do with it? Ooh, that's a whole other debate. That's a whole other debate, yes. I, I don't know. I would have expected Liverpool to be well-rested well, and put in a decent yeah. performance at can, home. Can, you say, can, well, I, can I make a suggestion? It's not a then, is it? So all these teams are doing it. So if, if you look now, even Chelsea recently, although they're in the, the winning games, you get to this time and everybody's playing for yeah. everyone's playing for something. Mm. It, it becomes the pressure gets to the players, expectation well, rises. Okay, but right, whereas Burnley have no pressure because they've already won their Premier League by being in mid-table and not they going have no down. Pressure? Not sure. Um, okay, well if there's no be, pressure, could, it even helps them. Could it be something even simpler? Um, just gonna throw this out there. There's no Firmino. I'm not a Divock guy. Sorry, I just don't think he's that good. Um, I don't think he's a Liverpool standard player. He, he's been given enough chances. Maybe he might be. Coutinho, meanwhile, turns in horrendous performance for a guy who the first few months of the season people are talking like, oh, Barcelona are going to sign him and he's going to be player of the season. Whatever else, since his injury, he clearly hasn't been the same, hasn't found a stride. And when you're out there and it's Mane trying to carry the can on his own with one guy who keeps giving the ball away and another guy who runs into blind alleys, and in midfield, everybody's tired. Isn't this going to happen? Isn't it? Isn't it still like something? I know. I know it's, it's an obvious one, but against teams who set up well, like Burnley, you need some quality. And if your quality guys don't show up, you don't win. I agree with you. I think it's very good. I spent most of the weekend because I'm very sad trying to determine the best club for Gilfie Sigurdsson to join. Oh my God. The best top six club, and it, it <laughs> worked, turns out up. it turns out Liverpool need him most. Really? Where? Instead of who? Anybody. That's the point. That's really? the point. You should, right. they, Liverpool need a player Allison. that takes control. Alison, you want you to put Sigurdsson in a pressing side. You think that's a, you think you, that's a good idea? No, he needs somebody well, with a brain. But what does he do when well, he doesn't have the ball? What does he do when he doesn't have the ball? What is he going to do? You go, you... Or maybe Klopp can change. Oh, that looks. Look, look, just imagine it. I, I ask everyone just to take right. a breath and imagine I, I, I Liverpool all with Gilfie Sigurdsson. All our listeners imagine to do that. It. To do that, close your eyes. And it's some, a beautiful, beautiful thought. Do some role play. Can I ask you one question? Go on, then. Has Klopp overachieved with these players? Ooh. Probably he has, because, because there are big gaps in that team. And when you looked at the lineup so and the bench, asking, it was really weak. I exactly. Thought. So he had a lot of youngsters on the bench. So are we answering the question here? I, I, well, I was, I was complimenting Klopp enough, on turning yeah. a disaster. If Klopp gets Liverpool in the top four, plus. forget the burner. He's done unbelievably well. He has. He has done unbelievably well. Yeah, yeah, credit where they came back from behind once again. I think he's 14 points, something like that, like Spurs, yeah. where they're coming back from losing position. You know, to get points, which I think for that they deserve credit as well. Can and I also Coutinho, though. Coutinho to be subbed off after an hour and replaced by Woodburn is a humiliation for him. It right. has to can, be. can I play devil's advocate and also suggest that maybe part of the reason the squad isn't good is because Ragnar Klavan isn't particularly good because they spent money on 
carry us and then go and drop him, play silly buggers with him because he can't figure out how to get Alberto Moreno to play, who's actually a really skillful player, and actually, going forward, and apparently very good in training as well, before we even get into Mr. Sacco. Yeah. So there's obviously some decisions that were made at club level. To what degree Klopp was a, was a part of them, I don't know. One thing that struck me about Klopp was, when I chance to spend time with him last summer, he said, the reality of my job, and I get paid enough for this, is that even when decisions are made together and I don't veto them or I go along with the majority and it's somebody else's idea and things don't work out, I can't come out and say, hey, it wasn't me, it was this guy. I have to accept responsibility and I have to make every single decision my own. I almost wonder if it was kind of in stark, stark contrast to the guy who came before him, actually. Uh, coming from- <laughs> club as well, though, because at Dortmund, that's not what he was doing. So this is something new. And when we talked about Pochettino's mistake, maybe in terms of recruitment, it's the same for club. Club had Dortmund had you know people around him who were doing that kind of work. He had the Zork. He had the Zork, and the Zork is probably one of the best in this area, if you want. And it's it's very different, I think, from Club now to be across all of those. And I'm surprised that he didn't buy anyone in January. I have to say. Because there's no football this week, we have no fewer than three teeny tiny mini debates, and one of them we will dispense with uh, immediately. Uh, it's not on your running order, but Craig Shakespeare is the new manager of Leicester City. Well done, Shaky. Anybody surprised? No. Nah. All that matters is that they stay up. That's all they care about, and it looks like there's just enough team spirit there to make sure they do. I have a question. What happens to Shaky if they go down? Do they keep him? Well, they might keep him. He won't keep the job. You think they so? won't keep the job if, he, if they stay up anyway, will he? Why not? He's not an interim manager. He's a proper manager now. He's got a job to the end of the season, yeah. isn't it? Which I think the Leicester owners want to appoint a big name, don't sure. they? That that's the sort of because because they know they know Craig Shakespeare. He can't be on trial. He's been there a long, long time now. Worked under it, so they know him inside hey, out. I do have a question here. I wonder what their definition of a big name is because so far they've appointed Nigel Pearson and Claudio Ranieri, right? Not exactly the biggest of biggest names. Okay, is a big name. Someone with a bigger pedigree than Craig Shakespeare. No offense to Shaky, I, mean, I don't know him, but you know him well enough to call him Shaky. Yeah, though. yeah. I, I, I don't know. I guess that's like, everybody was calling him anyway. Uh, but you know, like just someone who's more proven as a manager than than him. I wonder if these people are just having a song. Because remember, like when they sacked Ranieri, they pretended like they were going to go through a, a manager search, yeah. and they pretended like all these names got leaked out. I think I have a pretty clear idea who was leaking them about all these guys who they were clearly never going to get because they would have either been bad appointments or because they had no interest. People like Mancini, like Goose Hitting, <laughs> like Roy Hodgson. Do you remember that? Sergio Conceso. So I, I don't know. I, I The whole situation just appears mysterious to me, and I don't know. I, I think if um, if they do stay up, maybe Shaky can stay with Nigel Pearson as his assistant. Wouldn't that oh. be cool? Now, just to make Julian uncomfortable a little bit, um, last week we saw one of the most improbable historic comebacks um, that we've ever seen in sport. In 185 attempts in European football, no team had ever lost the first leg 4-0 and then come back to qualify. In Barcelona's case, not only did they do it, they also did it with an injury time winner from Sergio Roberto. If you're interested in sort of the psychological, pseudoscientific side of it, uh, Matthew Side has an excellent column uh, in the game on this. Alison, what did you make of this? Because, I mean, this, this is something we're going to talk about. This, this, this is like Istanbul. This is something that is going to stand out. 
I don't. I'm not trying to be deliberately perverse, but I mean, we're talking Barcelona at home in the new Camp, having to score four goals initially, which isn't really such a big ask. It isn't, and the fact that PSG would be paralysed. The fact that PSG would be paralysed by having played so well and knowing that history was with them. Sometimes it's the toughest thing in the world to know that everyone thinks you've won it. Most people were saying. Yes, it's at the new Camp and Barcelona are a great team, but oh, did you see how PSG played? It's impossible that they won't score. So it's just going to be that away goal thing that kills Barcelona. It was fantastic and it broke the record books, but I wasn't that surprised. I think if you'd have said to anyone before the game, they'll win 6-1, I don't think many people would have believed you, would you? It, it would you? It does happen. No, I, surprised? I, I, yeah, I was surprised. Have you ever because... seen a more dramatic comeback? No. Okay. No, because there was two comebacks in one game. Exactly. This is where you you look at it. it it's only the, the score line. They got back to it within touching distance. Cavani literally puts the game out of reach again. And then there's the second phase of the comeback. So I think there was several stories within a story here. And no, I've never seen a comeback like that before. Julian, one of the other stories within a story, which has upset Nasser Al-Khalifi, is that you can come up with maybe 10 different little individual incidents where things could have gone one way or another, whether it's individual mistakes, moments of brilliance, like the the Neymar free kick, or refereeing errors. For whatever reason in this game, they seemingly all went against Paris Saint-Germain, both the refereeing mistakes, the individual mistakes, and the fact that, you know, Neymar chooses that moment to to conjure up. I'd say both the free kick and also the the pass to Sergio Roberto. Mm. Does that make it tougher or can you then retreat and I don't I think I'm gonna out you as a Paris Saint-Germain fan for those who don't know yeah or does it actually become easier because you take a step back and you say you know what like this was just an incredible unreal sequence of events and we really in a normal world we did not lose 6-1 yeah a bit of I think a bit of but I thought the ref was a disgrace uh, but I still think that the most responsible are the PSG players and I think they got it wrong I think Emery I'm not sure he handled it the way he should have and I was really nervous on the, the day before, on the Tuesday, and I saw them training at the Camp Nou and they were all laughing, they were all smiling, and I was like, I don't like this at all, I have to say. Uh, I still thought they would go through, but I, I just didn't like the Did attitude. You have a word? Did you have a word? I didn't have a word, I, unfortunately, I, I should have maybe. But And well, I thought Suarez was an absolute disgrace for the dive, by the way, for the second penalty. And I think as great player he, as he is, I just think... He didn't bite anybody, I mean... Uh, yeah, this time, but... I just thought for a player of his quality, it was incredible. And I know there was obviously a lot of stake, but I find it, yeah. I I, want to give you a a scenario to think about. If, let's say, they don't give the the, the Suarez penalty, or let's say that, you know, they do, let's say any one of those incidents breaks the other way, PSG concede one less, let's say they lose 5-1, or they lose 6-2, they go through. Would there still be psychological ramifications of losing so heavily? No, I don't think so. Really? I think they couldn't have cared less to lose well, five. That's why I want to ask you then, since you've, you've played the game to a higher level than Julian. Have you ever been in a situation where like you thump somebody in the first leg and then the second leg you get destroyed? Um, I've been in a situation before when playing in the Premier League in a relegation battle uh, for Leicester at Wolves. We were 3-0 up at half-time in a massive game and we lost 4-3 in the second half. And uh, the psychological... Who your manager? Uh, Mickey Adams at the time and the psychological damage was awful it, it was it will take them a long long time it, it, it's 
I, I think that'll take them two or three years to go over that result. Two or three years? Yeah, I do. Did you play 90 minutes? I did play 90. And do you know what? I nearly come off at half-time as well. And I look back at my career now thinking, I don't have many regrets, but one regret was I should have come off at half-time <laughs> in that game. And do you know well, what I did on the way home? Right. So we're all on the Hard bus. Hard in to build. No. Fans banging on the, the team bus, not happy. And he turned uh, 606 on and he made us listen to the phone-in all the way home. So it's about an hour's drive and you just had fan after fan yeah. ring up. This is a disgrace. This is, uh, and he turned the volume right up. And he said, right, you lot, listen to this. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious in terms of the, I don't want to bring back painful memories for you, but I'm just curious when you when you see it kind of slipping away and, and you're up front, right, I presume? So you're not, you're not uh, in the I heart wasn't, of it? Uh, I, was, I was number 10, played as a number 10 role that day. Um, so did you just stop getting the ball or could you not keep well, the ball? Or? So we, we were excellent first half. We came out the blocks, all guns firing, two early goals, and then we get a third one before half time. And we just thought, well, you know, fantastic, you know, we, we've won this. And momentum is everything in football, everything. And all of a sudden, they got a goal early on in the second half, within the first 90 seconds. The whole game just changed in that moment. The crowd all of a sudden lifted a little bit from booing their team off, just got behind them, and it just put us on the back foot and we couldn't. And it was exactly the same. The first, the worst thing that happened to PSG the other night was the first goal after two. And the way they conceded it, and since that moment onwards... They were on the back well, foot. And early in the second half as well. German goalkeeper is not named Manuel. I mean, that's yeah. kind of, you know. And to be oh, fair no to, to, to be somebody who's really impressed in the last few weeks, if you've listened to the Cowley brothers and what they've done in their cup run, they've done it in blocks. So the first 15 minutes, can we get through the first 15 minutes, yeah, keeping yeah. a clean sheet and everything. And that's exactly what PSG had to do the other night. We have uh, a quite interesting interview, I thought, in, uh, in the game uh, this week with... Uh, Matt Dickinson sitting down with Dan Ashworth. Okay, hands up. Who knows who Dan Ashworth is? All right, two out of three of you. Um, he is the technical director of the Football Association. Dicko, are you with us? I am. Hello. Here's the thing. I I, I kind of I have a bit of sympathy for for Dan Ashworth because I'm assuming the FA didn't even have was was Howard Wilkinson the first technical director? Where there's the have they always had one? Howard Wilkinson was sort of fulfilled that uh, function certainly i'm trying to remember his exact title but um yes that that type of role but then you go back to charles hughes um and way back so there have been sort of heads of coaching for a long time obviously people have probably read books about sort of the dutch model the french model the german model the spanish model and so on i'm assuming dan ashworth came in and he was given mining and resources and said give us a model. He talks about developing, uh, I guess, in England, DNA. Well, I think, yeah, they, it's, there's a few things coming together. Obviously, they built St. George's Park. Yeah, the hope was it was going to become a sort of hub. Its purpose has sort of, well, changed and morphed. Um, partly, obviously, it's just a training base, but um, also I think people were hoping that it would sort of bring together um, <laughs> the great brains of English football, if people are not going to laugh at that, and try and work as a, an FA coaching hub, which is obviously key because we haven't got enough good coaches. Um, so there's all kinds of things, but one of the core missions, obviously, with Dan Ashworth is, is making good England national teams. And, um, you know, well, that's through the junior up. And one of the central planks of that, which is, I guess, the main point of the interview, was to talk about mental strength. And basically, we produce good players, but they seem to flop at a certain point in tournaments, and that is, in their view, put down to mental resilience or, or lack of it. I want to go back to the mental strength issue, but when you said we as in England don't produce enough good coaches, 
I have an England youth coach here in the room with me who pulled a face and shook his head. Hey. Scoey, is there something you'd like to share with us? Not, not really, no, but there's... Does he actually go into detail, Matt, or is he is, is he just telling you these glossy words and this is what we're doing? Well, and fair, fair question. I mean, I think you know, some people will say sort of glossy words. I mean, I, I think I'm mentioning it myself as a sort of, um, the, you know, the the head of team and, and, and personal de- you know, development people. You know, people will sort of groan and, and talk about, you know, David Brentisms. And it's easy to sit there and say, right, we're going to work on mental strength. Well, you've got to show you know, how you're doing it and, and show the effect, effect I'll give of you it. a little insight into the, the coaching. So I've just come through the, the coaching scale with the FA. I've just completed the final A licence bit at St George's Park over two years. Stayed there for the best part of two weeks, actually. So, you know, I've seen it. I'm one of these new era students, call it whatever you want. And I have to say come away deeply disappointed really really disappointed and I think it's from from I wouldn't say I'm looking at a far because I, I was close to it it seems to be a lot of glossy a lot of buzzwords but is there real real substance to it I don't think there is and there was a lot of disgruntled ex-players on my course the course below me as well that said this just isn't good enough and what was that when you say it was not good enough? It's just the, what the, the, it was the quality the, of the, the people quality, who were teaching yeah. you. Yeah, not not so much the quality. That that's harsh. It, it's it's on how he, he's gone. I'm reading your interview here, and, and he's gone. Is that his player ownership? So that's the same with coach now. It's coach ownership. But it's like anything in life. You, you know, you do discover and you do learn things yourself, but you also learn by experts and people that have been there and done it, teaching you as well. And there just isn't any of this. And the, the, the new coaching course is actually half the time of what the the old one was. You know, for example, one of the Italian courses, um, and it's one of the middle ones, the, the, the B licence, is a six-week residential course, far, far more in-depth than what the, the English course is. Um, it just left me feeling very, very disappointed that there wasn't some real, real detail and there wasn't people that you were looking at that had been there for years and years and you were watching them it just lacks substance which is worrying because i mean i think one thing yeah one thing i i don't think anyone can dispute too hard is that they are, they've tried to drag this process forward i mean there was a lot of skepticism as we know for many years about the need for badges full stop and obviously you know badges yeah. for the sake of it and i've seen this and i've seen this happen live that they are now getting as many people they can on courses and they are getting them through them as quickly as what they possibly can. So the statistics are awful. I, I, I don't know them off heart, but probably 10 times more A-licensed coaches in Germany and, and it looks it, it doesn't look good at all. So, this way they can massage the numbers so, so now they're through. just trying to get numbers through, get people the awards and right, great, we've got all these. Actually, Julian and I are going up to St. George's this afternoon. We're going to spend a couple hours there, be back yeah. in time for dinner and we're going to get some B-licenses, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I... I want to ask you about something that, that, that's in here, um, and I want to commend you for asking the question because it's a question that's that, that gets thrown at Ashworth all the time, and that is this business with with A.D. Boothroyd. He's under-21 coach. He's been under-19 coach. Those of us who follow the Premier League and nothing else remember uh, A.D. Boothroyd from his time at, at Watford playing what I thought was some pretty medieval football I didn't see anything innovative or interesting about this guy. Now, he's obviously done better with the under-19s and the under-21s, but there's also, shall we call it a special relationship between um, A.D. Boothroyd and, and Dan Ashworth? Um, well, and you asked well, him about that. Yeah, well, he says, you know, 
he would say take out the word special. I mean, basically, they worked together for, I think he said, 18 months at Peterborough, you know, quite some time ago. And, and Boothroyd, you know, various stories came out of that, which I'd heard from, you know, what what people I'd sort of normally... did they also work together at West Brom? We, uh, yeah, for a few months. But, I mean, he was, you know, Boothroyd went to his wedding um, because that was while they were at Peterborough. The, the wedding happened and he, they were work colleagues. Um, and, you know, Dan Ashworth says, well, you know, um, does that mean that you if know, we had been work colleagues when you got married, Dicker? Would you have invited me? Um, I'm trying to, to be honest, I'm trying to look back to my wedding and who, who I did invite. There's probably, um, but there were work colleagues, yeah, because there were work colleagues at that time, and they're probably people that I've lost touch with almost since. But did he you was invite just, Ad Boothroyd? He was Ad was not there. Um, he uh, no, he was playing direct football um, somewhere else. If only you'd invited Dan Ashworth, you'd be England manager now, Dicko. Well, exactly. Well, boy, he was said, it's interesting. I didn't. The quotes actually, if this bit of, did not appear, but he was. Dan Ashwood makes a point. He says, for example, my brother, his brother, is uh, a coach in Latvia. He's got a pro license. Um, he says, look, he's a he's a very decent, you know, pro license coach. And he says that we've say made a hundred odd appointments at, at, at the FA in coaching roles um, since he's been there. And he said, look, if it was as simple as him just giving jobs for the boys, he said his brother's been out of work at different times. An English pro-license coach, he said he could have snapped his fingers and got his brother in to the FA at any point. But <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> Surely that would have been wait, far he, too much, though. He actually but, said this? Uh, well, he talked, he, 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 we were just chatting, and he said, look, I'm not, this, is, this is not what I do. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not looking for jobs for the boys. Otherwise, okay. you know, I could so, ta- I could damning ta- that he thinks he could. <laughs> I, I mean, know. that's the worst bit, isn't it? Is it? I, I, that well, frankly way, terrifies me in, that, that he has a, that, that he that he would even bring this up. We've seen it many times, I and mean, it's not been naive about it. We've seen, you know, you see plenty of jobs for the boys. In, I mean, we've seen Alex Ferguson appoint his son to be an agent. We've seen. Yeah, yeah, and, that, he, and his that, brother to be a scout, but that guy's also won like more trophies than any manager no, no, in no, history. But we said there is, you know, we're not unfamiliar in English football um, with you know people. They would say potentially looking after people they think have got talent. We have seen nepotism, we've seen chumminess, we've seen over chumminess, we've seen jobs for boys. We have seen it plenty right, of times. It's, 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 anyway, on back back to the point on Boothroyd, and his style, he says football. He, he says, look. Did he play certain style at Watford? Yes. I mean, I've spoken to Boothroyd about it since. He he admits that he got carried away, that actually at a time when he should have been, he got Watford up, which was no small achievement, and at a time when he should have been expanding his tactical horizons, he actually went the other way and became, you know, I've seen it, I saw it watching John Beck with Cambridge many years ago. Some of the sort of long ball fanatics have become even more fanatical as they've come under pressure instead of instead of releasing it. And and Boothroyd knows he made mistakes. Now, Ashworth's argument is that because you took on a certain style at a certain time of your life does not mean you're incapable of no, being, he a, carried, being a different sorry, mate, coach. He, he carried that style on for a long time as well in other jobs. Uh, Coventry, I, to, to be honest, I didn't see enough I, of Coventry. I've played against know. his teams, trust me, he did. Yeah. Well, no, you're talking I, I about think, that style. No. What are you talking? Are you talking about Tony Pula style? Are you talking, well, talking about long needlessly ball. aggressive, intimidating your opponent? And you you know because we've had this chat before the show. So you I know. know, but I'm wondering if you want to tell it again on air. I, I, the things that people show, people inside the game. So you go into St George's Park and you sit there, and they've got the DNA plastered everywhere, and then all of a sudden, and listen, you can play any way you want. There's no set way that you must play this. That and AD had some great success, so that, that's great. But you're trying to produce coaches 
to sort of be clones that are going to play possession football. And then you appoint the under-21 manager that's got a history of that football. And it's very, very hard for anybody that inside football to actually take it seriously. You know, if you had to appoint the under-21 manager who has a history of playing possession football, and in England, an English guy, you would have never found anyone. Well, again, to be honest, when we looked, no, consider the short the shortlist was um, in, the shortlist included Stuart Pearce and Paul Lintz, so maybe exactly. we should be grateful for small mercies. But yeah, okay, um, sorry, yeah, sorry, exactly. sorry, 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 sorry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, easy, exactly. easy there, Dicko. You can't have it both ways. You said this is the shortlist, as if like God created the shortlist and gave it to Dan Ashworth. Presumably, if his shortlist of three names was made up of A.D. Boothroyd, Stuart Pearce, and Tom Ince, it's going to only be one of two things. Sorry, Paul Ince. Tom Ince might have even been better. It, yeah. it can only mean one of two things. Either he thinks that these three are the best people to go and entrust England's young footballers with, or he wanted to give the job to Boothroyd all along and said, I'll get these two other no, guys alongside him. Appleton was, Appleton was interviewed. I mean, Phil Neville was about to go for it and, and backed off. But, I mean, I said, look, but I, I'm not, you know, the fact is that A.D. Boothroyd has to prove, um, I mean, there have been signs with the under-19s that that label is over-applied. Um, there have been signs of that. With the under-21s, you'll be under extra scrutiny to, to, to show it is the case that he can be adaptable. I mean, the fact is... The he has some very good players, doesn't he? The under-21s, you look at them, and you, know, you look at the general development of English players, which is why, obviously... You know, Iceland was so disappointing. Was that there is a, you know, there is a sense that there is a generation coming through who are pretty technical, um, who are capable of playing this sort of high press, comfortable in possession, high tempo game that England aspire to. So, Boothroyd, yeah, there's no, there's no excuses in terms of the manpower they've got. That's for sure, under 21 level. Matt, I just wondered if you were able to address this point or if you have any thoughts on it. I've spoken to Gary Neville and Roy Hodgson about whether they underprepared the players for the game against Iceland, and they both said that they just don't get enough time with the players to even think about a programme of mental strength or talking to psychologists or analysts. And that seems to me to be in direct contradiction with what well, Ashworth's saying. Well, that's a good point, which I did raise them, and he said, well, for one, one thing is that they've increased the number of international uh, appearances through, through the ranks. So they brought in an under-15s, they've increased the number of teams. So they're saying, look, we don't try and fix everything at senior level, we don't try and fix everything under-15 level. You hope if someone's generally picked up as talented at some stage in that process, they're going to have, you know, be exposed to this for several years, um, potentially five, six, seven years. So... That's one thing he would say. I mean, on the direct point about Iceland, I, th- I, I think the evidence was there, weren't they, that England had chopped and changed styles a bit too much. I think they chopped and changed selections a bit too much. I think they. I just don't think the players had a clear plan in their head. Um, so when, when the pressure came on, they started to panic, which heightened what's already a, a, a certain mental fragility. And I think Dan Ashwood does use that key phrase in there, they don't fear losing with England shirts on, they fear the consequences of losing. And, you know, oh, my God, we're going to lose to Iceland. You know, we're going to be front-page fools. I think that fear is only just below the surface, which is pretty worrying. It's all great for Dan Ashworth to say, well, you know, our international footballers are going to get mental strength training in the under-15s. But I've actually run some numbers. Not that many under-15s become internationals. And you have very limited time with these people because the, the, the days of Lillishall and all that jazz are gone. These, these people might come in, these, these kids might, might come in for 
say, two and a half weeks out of the year or three weeks out of the year to go with the under-15s and see their mental strength coach for half an hour. But then most of the time is going to be spent with the clubs. They're talking about this problem and trying to be more transparent with the clubs, you know, trying to have a sort of bit more open-door policy, um, they say, to get clubs into St. George's Park and hope that that's reciprocated by saying, look, we want to send Gareth Southgate round to spend a, a day or two at, at, the, at, at the training ground just to talk to the players, or we're going to send out this sort of re- reminder of what we're working out to the players on DVDs and stuff. I mean, look, it's the fact is the model we're stuck with, that model ain't changing, is it? I mean, it's just not. The fact is that the players are owned by the Premier League clubs, but we're stuck with the model. It's a question of what you can do within those constraints. Enough England for a while. How about some quick hits? Arsenal stomp all over Lincoln City, ending the fairy tale. Allison, you were there. We didn't talk about this because it's same old, same old, waiting for Godot. But mm-hmm. you wrote about, you, you called it Wexit, Wenger's exit. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't coin that phrase. Okay, there were, there were protests before the game, although it's never, it's always impossible to tell how many people are actually there, whether it's just the same 20 guys or not, marching around and around for the camera. Uh, they had the whole nonsense with Alexis Lanches, Sanchez laughing. And I want to go back to this. Why did Fenger go and bring up the Bayern game again? Wouldn't you think that in his post-match interview, wouldn't you think he'd just kind of not want to talk about it? Because he's obstinate. He doesn't want the history books to say that Arsenal were a complete mess over the two legs of the tie. And afterwards, in the little dark room you have for the, the Monday papers interviews... I said to him, do you watch every defeat three times? Because he said he'd watched it back, the, the game at the Emirates against Bayern. He said he'd watched it three times. And he said, I watch, all, I watch all games over and over again because he doesn't want the narrative to be determined by the result. And he feels if he cuts himself off from all the palaver of punditry and critics that he will find the truth. And he wants other people to realise that the truth is that against Bayern, they did not play badly until they had a man sent off. And that's why he brought it up, because he, he doesn't feel the truth as he sees it is out there. Were there massive protests? Or no, was no they're protests. They weren't massive. They're, they're in, divide, inside the, the ground. fans are divided. The fans in, are divided. Inside right. the ground, there are, there are fans who want him to stay, and there are fans who want him out. There are little placards saying stay. There are placards saying it's time to go. Manchester City overcome Middlesbrough in a very exciting game, and uh, they tour in the FA Cup semi-final. Julian, there's no reason to believe that anything different was going to happen, given that I think Burrow, even though he didn't rotate that much, kind of made it quite clear that their priority is staying in the Premier League. And your pal Rudy Gestead uh, was in there and got hurt. Yep. Anything stand out for you? Leroy Sané. Once again, we mentioned him last week, and you and I love him, and I'm sure more and more people love him because he's just getting better and better and better and better, and he was he's still very young, but... He did an interview recently where he said, I just needed a bit of time to realise how football was played here and to adapt. And he got that time and also to adapt to Guardiola, obviously. And and I think the best is yet to come. But, well, what a talent. Who'd win a foot race between Leroy Sané and Adama Traore? Oh, that's a good one. Hmm? I would think Traore is still quicker, probably. In pure speed, I mean. Then, in terms of brains and the rest, there's no match. Josh King misses a penalty, but still bags a hat-trick as Bournemouth down West Ham 3-2. Scully, you no doubt have fond memories of the Norwegian monarch from his Manchester United days. Do you want to talk about him? 
or discuss missing a penalty and then going on to score three times in a game. Well, I can't talk about missing a penalty and going on to score three times. It's never happened. Well, uh, you never missed a penalty. I have missed a penalty. Yes, uh, 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 I have missed a penalty and I have scored three times, but not in the same game. On his penalty, it's a bit strange, really, because uh, Old Trafford last week took the best penalty you're, you're likely to see, and he just looked so unconfident going up to score this one. But he was no, playing at home last week. He's a player that's if Bournemouth are going to kick on and make a fist of this season, is crucial to their uh, plans. Hull City win a classic relegation six-pointer against Swansea, and Umar Nias steals a show. Allison, was your buddy Ronald Koeman a bit unkind to Nias earlier this year? And are you on the Marco Silva bandwagon yet? Well, actually, maybe Koeman's done exactly the right thing. He's, Nias is on loan. It's a six-month loan he's been sent on to get better. And he's got better. So perfect. And if you have Lukaku in your team, you can afford to do that. So it's perfect management, I would suggest. Mm. He didn't dump him for a low fee, did he? And, uh, yeah, Marco Silva, I'm already on his bandwagon. I just don't think he's going to be able to keep them up. Speaking of Koeman, he was bullish about Ross Barkley following Everton's romp over West Brom and talking about how he should be playing in the hole, possibly for England as well. All right. You're a huge England fan, Julian. Dele Alli or Ross Barkley in the hole? Is it even a conversation? What, why can't they play together? Why do we have to pick one? There's two incredible talents. I think they're two different players, because, although right, they have similarities. Uh, all right, all right. Because if you play the two of them together, and presumably you're going to play a centre forward as well, yeah? yeah. Are you going to play wingers? Well, no, but I'm not saying that's the way they should play. I'm just saying well, because why they, would we because have to choose? Why can't Barkley... Well, okay, if the question is Unless who you want plays to drop in the Sterling. hole... No, if the question is who plays in the hole, I would pick Dele Alli to play in the hole. Thank you. If we say maybe Barkley can play a bit deeper and both can play in the same team, I don't know, let's say in a 4-2-3-1 formation with Ali behind the striker, Barkley a bit deeper, they can maybe even rotate in the game, One can then then Barkley could be a bit higher, Dele Alli could be a bit deeper, I don't know, something. I've just, I think it would be a shame to leave one of them two on the bench if they're both at their best because I, I, I do think they can maybe play together. Now, Chelsea play Manchester United in the FA Cup tonight. So um, given the vagaries of podcast recording, we're going to pretend uh, that we don't know anything about it uh, because we don't as we're taping this. But Paul Hurst reports today in our paper about how Luke Shaw and his entourage are frankly nonplussed at the continuing snub from Jose Mourinho. Scoey, are you also confused? And it's been suggested, presumably by Luke Shaw's entourage, that it all harks back to when he turned down a move to Chelsea. That's a big call. I would say his entourage in Manchester need to stay in a little bit more and stay away from the nightlife, um, which would help. What well, do you um, care what his entourage do as long as he's not with him? I think he is, is he not? I don't know. Um, all joking aside, look, he's come back from a, an awful injury. He's nowhere near the player that he was before he got injured. I think the next... Will he survive the summer? Jose, will he be a Manchester United player September the 1st or when the transfer window shut? I'm not sure. But would you like to see him play? The Luke Shaw that came to Manchester United would be perfect for the team and they are massively missing him, but he's not He's he's not got over his injury. He's also but don't you think that he could go back to his best level if Mourinho spent a bit of time with him, giving him confidence back, maybe even I don't think Jose's fitness kind of coach, Julian. I don't think he's the sort of arm round a shoulder, look, you know, you've got all the time. It's now. Now or never. Very good left back. So quite rare in the game. You know, even you could argue Marcos Alonso, Chelsea, but Montreal, Gibbs, even at City, they're struggling Gibbs. for left back. No, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
not everybody's Ryan Cicinho at Fulham and an incredible talent for so, your so age. You have one, even Moreno, and and it seems weird that you think he's wasted and you don't really care. You don't Jose bother that. Mourinho much. was desperate to bring Patrice Evra back in January. Exactly, that tells you a lot. I've seen him with Marseille that he joined in January. I'm glad for you and United fans <laughs> that he didn't join United. Gab, it's time for your question. Um, it was a tough weekend for the big boys in Spain. An exhausted Barcelona lose to Deportivo and it takes some heroics from Real Madrid for them to win against Betis. What is going on in La Liga? Is it not a two-team league anymore? No, it isn't and hasn't been for some time. In fact, I think you'll find it is right now the tightest <coughs> league in Europe, certainly among the uh, bigger leagues. <coughs> Excuse me, as um, I'd something caught in my throat, and it wasn't Pepe Mel, who is the Deportivo La Coruña uh, manager. Deportivo, by the way, had a bunch of guys out. Uh, so did Barcelona, but you know they both had important players out. Barcelona had uh, Neymar out, of course, uh, Rafinha. Deportivo pushing, pushing, pushing. Ter Stegen uh, making mistakes, or making at least one big mistake, but then he didn't make a big save after that. Um, and uh, it went from bad to worse because Real Madrid also struggled later uh, uh, against Betis, Kaylor Navas, making uh, an almighty uh, fumble. But then that man, Sergio Ramos, again with the winner late on, typically a header. A big, big win for uh, for Real Madrid. Who are now asked our... earlier, Gab, how long it would take PSG to get over the miracle at the new Camp. The whole weekend's action implies it might take Barcelona some time to get over it. Do you think? Do you think? Well, Luis Enrique said they were tired and they were emotionally drained and all this stuff. But it's also, I think, pretty simple. There really aren't that many pushover games in La league. I think that's an old myth. And you go there and you leave out Neymar, who right now is probably your best attacking player. You don't have Rafinha, who's also useful in those situations. Lionel Messi has an absolute stinker. For me, possibly his worst game this season. And your goalkeeper makes a mistake, and then it's all uphill. Luis Suarez, you know, he scored, also not doing great right now. This stuff happens, and all of a sudden we're going from, oh, look, they're going to win another treble to absolute disaster. Right, that's all we've got time for this week. Many, many, many thanks to my excellent guests who join me, Matt Dickinson on the phone, James Scowcroft, Alison Rudd, and Julien Laurence. Uh, remember, it's just £12 for a 12-week trial if you want to subscribe to our newspaper, uh, which is called The Times. Just search The Times online. Not that difficult. Uh, then you can get some great content, like the fact that you get a regular dose of George Culkin features every two weeks. Other than my own column, it's probably my favorite favorite part of the newspaper. Some of Allison's long features are, are good also. Um, cast- <laughs> okay, but this is George. Some, with some, some, not again. This is George Culkin lies. we're talking about, okay? Part of the reason awards are all nonsense and the people who, who give out the awards are all doddering fools is that George Culkin doesn't win them or doesn't even get nominated for them every single time. You agree with that, yes? Oh, absolutely. You can subscribe to this podcast by pressing the subscribe button on wherever you choose to download your podcast. You can leave a review on iTunes if you're listening to an Apple device. I'm sure you can leave reviews uh, elsewhere if you listen in other formats. We'll catch you all next week. Do this again? Of course we will. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.